Hello and welcome to Lady Time, a podcast for people navigating midlife. I'm your host, Jill McGregor, and my guest today is James Finney. James, by his own volition, is deranged, deluded and dangerous. But that's only if you don't know him. If you do know him, he is a man of over 30 career starts and is low skilled in the subject of spelling and typing, but very learned in wordage and talking, which I myself can attest to. He is currently a single father of one to a, fa- uh, to a daughter with life challenges. He has lived through depression for over 25 years, but has never touched a psychiatric drug. He believes it is because his life has been a lie and he has never touched upon or used his true potential. James, that is such uh, an unusual biog. Uh, I I know that you're very comedic, but with comedians, uh, there's always this core, I think, of uh, pain and yet it's cloaked in in humor and I would actually see you uh, in essence uh, like a comedian but you're very very welcome I'm so happy to have you on the podcast today and thanks for coming on. Hey, no, thank you very much for having me and uh, yes um, comedians are sort of um, I suppose that they're the, they're the wordsmith version of an aggressive boxer uh, so instead of me attacking physically and smashing things up, then I choose to pick words and fire words and see what happens. Well, you're very good at them. And uh, to our listeners, uh, James and I met uh, uh, on the podcast course that we both did last summer. And mm. uh, James, you absolutely stood out right from the beginning. I think <laughs> for aesthetic reasons or for something else. <laughs> oh, both now, both. Yeah, yeah. Right, but okay. your humor, your humor stood out. Uh, your honesty stood out as well. And I had already said, you know what? Uh, if we if we decide to interview men, I definitely want to have James to come on. So I'm delighted Marvelous. you came on. And yeah. James, we almost didn't have you. In the world <laughs> recently, yeah. My God, uh, you're recovering. You look very well. I'm delighted to see you looking so well and smiling again. Much. What happened to you? Um, well, it was interesting. I was having a conversation with a friend the other day, and we were. I was having these during the month of October. I was having a bit of a black period, and I was giving up on things, getting frustrated with things. I weirdly made the decision. That's it. I'm done with this. I'm happy to die at some point. But I hadn't made any decision or any choice of how I was going to do things. And with parental obligation, you've got to hang around for a good few years anyway. So it's sort of like, okay, this is going to be a long-term demise. And then about two weeks later, my appendix blew up. So uh, maybe I got what I wished for. Uh, I went to the hospital thinking I had trapped wind. It turned out I had septic blood, leaking bowels, blah, blah, blah but not leaking in the right direction. They were just going around and round inside my body. Um, and then after what was a basic operation to repair me and clean me out, there was a surgical error where a pipe was put through my bladder and it took them many days to find that out. And then all my uh, bowel functions stopped. So <laughs> um, yeah, didn't eat for about a week, uh, on morphine for five days, had a lot of nightmares, a lot of horrible things going on. I did want to give up at points in time, but then I got so angry about the whole situation. I just wanted to get out and smash things up again. So um, whatever occurred in there inspired me to get out. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm out, uh, almost healed, 
There's a few scars, a few weird twinges and aches. But other than that, physically, I'm okay. Spiritually, not quite sure. Mentally, not quite sure again. And that's it, really. Okay, James. Well, I, I tell you, there were so many of us on, as you know, on the podcast group on Facebook, just like really, really gunning for you and wishing, you know, you the best thoughts. So uh, we were so happy as you well remember that you pulled through that. Sepsis yeah. is extreme. We all know, but sepsis is so dangerous. I mean, it's touch and go. You could be gone within a day with uh, yeah. sepsis. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know anything about it. I was just like, yeah, yeah. I, I just thought it was wind. <laughs> was like, just, just I can't seem to budget, doctor. What can we do about this? Well, I wasn't saying it like that. I was actually in, in agony on the floor um, yeah, yeah. with a very distended stomach looking like I was about to go into labour. But uh, yeah, that, that was what it was. And after the surgery, I felt fantastic. I was like, yes, this is good. I'm going to be home and sorted. And then, no, stuff started leaking all over the place. And, uh, yeah, it went downhill from there, really. Oh, my gosh. Well, anyway, I am absolutely thrilled that you're still in the world. And I uh, hope you stay in the world for a long time. <laughs> well, thank you very now, much, yes. Yeah. Well, we will uh, be getting into more on um, just, you know, what you've just touched on. We'll, we'll dig into that a little bit later. But uh, as we always start uh, our podcast, myself and Carol, is just um, how did you feel as you approached midlife? Because bear in mind, we have mostly an audience of women. I think we might yeah. have a couple of men. And uh, we just thought it'd be really good to know because, you know, there is the other half of the human race is male. And, uh, mm. you know, you're growing older as we are and we're all human. So it'd be lovely to hear uh you're are you sure when you say lovely are you sure you want to use that word it, it could be uh quite disturbing um from my point of view now i'm not your average run-of-the-mill male um yes i do have the genetics and the genitalia that sort of matches me to that species or side of that species but on the whole i'm not your run-of-the-mill bloke i'm not a pub goer i'm not i don't do the sports though i'd like to do the sports don't have any friends uh but i i don't go out and watch the tv and get drunk and watch football or any of the other stereotype things go out in my garage and, and i'm not you won't see me at the weekend doing diy i don't do any of that so i'm not that kind of guy um i don't know what kind of guy that leaves me as but uh, from that point of view when i was approaching midlife i found it terrifying and in some ways i still do because it reminds me of you, you know, you're at the peak of that hill. You should be at your peak at either your peak at your career, your peak at being a family contributor, uh, a peak socially. And I was none of that. I was aware of what I could be and know where I could be, but I was not achieving anywhere near that level. So that was already scary and terrifying. And then when you sort of go past that point of knowing that I'm closer to death than birth, the time and the pressure ramps up quite a great deal. And it's sort of like, well, what do I do? What can I do to actually be genuinely happy in my life? Because uh, I could be dead next week. And what have I really achieved with it? Um, so I'm a bit hard on myself in regards to benchmarks and achievements. So for me, hitting the middle age was terrifying. Still slightly is. Okay. And uh, I mean, it is a time, uh, I found it for myself, a time of reflection and looking back on the things that 
I had wanted to do, the dreams that I had had that I didn't achieve. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it really was a time of reckoning. Um, did you find, uh, I mean, where are you in the middle of that now? You were saying you still feel a bit like that. And probably we never get over some of the things that we wish we could have been or done anyway. But where yeah. are you with that? Um, what stage do you think you're at with that uh, in working your way through it? I'm, I've had to whittle away things and choices and pursuits I put them to one side and focus on one thing or two, just one or two major things and just focus on getting those to work and then move on from that. Uh, instead of buttering myself all over the universe, trying to go off at a dozen different directions, focus on one thing. I was also, I've, I've been stressed like this in school because when you're 11 or 12, you've got to decide what courses or, or what subjects you want to do. But when you don't know what you want to be, it immediately becomes just chaos. And from that point on, I've remained in chaos in regards to what career path, what should I do? Now, if I want to be blah, then I've got to study for three years to be blah. But what if I get there and I'm like, I don't like this. This is boring. So a lot of that sort of chaotic stuff. But now I'm sort of I'm having to run with what I know I can do. If I've got to learn it, then we've got to put that to one side. I've just got to focus on what I can do and build that and become better at that as opposed to learning something from scratch because I could be wasting a lot of time that I might not have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. You just don't want to go and do three years in college anymore. These days, <laughs> you know, who wants to do that? Yeah. I did um, performing arts. I did that in uh, my late 20s. Um, I thought, right, I'm going to be an actor. Uh, I'm going to do that. Sadly, once I was on the course, I realised, uh, even though I probably knew that before, that I can't learn lines. My memory is atrocious. So the pressure was always on for me to like learn. I always end up with the naff roles, like the little, hello, what time is it? And that was it. That would be my role in the whole show because I couldn't remember anything. Um, However, the benefit of that is I'm very good at improvisation and just making stuff up there and then as and when needed because I don't have to remember that. Okay. Maybe maybe comedian is is a calling at some stage. <laughs> I don't know. Not sure. I've taken a lot I of know, practice you on that one. Analyze your own show. I'm not surprised uh, you did performing arts. I could. I do you know? I'm not surprised actually. Um, what did you like? What did you do then? Um, I, I'm trying to remember. Was it IT or was it engineering? What uh, when I began? Yeah, yeah. What I did was a sound you, engineer. Um, well, I first started off in a music shop, then it was a sound engineer. Uh, I wanted to be a pop star, so I thought, yeah, I'll work in a recording studio, that'd be great. Um, and that didn't quite work out, because the problem is, if you want to be a success in a band, the primary things you need are looks, an ability to sing, and an ability maybe to play an instrument. Now, with those three factors absent, I was hard pushed to be a success in the music industry. So I thought, well, I'll take the bass guitar in a heavy metal band because that's pretty simple. And uh, I can just go along with the ride then. But I could never find a band to join. So that sort of went by the boards. And then the great thing about in the late 80s, early 90s, when computers were sort of taking a rise, was like you could be a bedroom musician. No one needs to see your face. You could fake it. You could alter voice and everything. So you wouldn't even be able to sing. You know, there was so many ways you could do it. So I got into the whole sound engineering and recording studio work. Uh, and then from then on, it was a case of, oh, you need money. Oh, I need to pay the rent. I'd best go and get a factory job then. And then the hamster wheel began. 
Okay, right, yeah. Uh, I mean, but I mean, as well as that, you, you could look back what you were saying earlier. Um, you know, you could look back at things happen in our childhoods that make us the way we are, but there's also societal um, things, you know, like that, mm. exactly. You do end up pushed into the hamster wheel. Now I could relate to, to, to the working in the arts because I, I did work in it, I'm still kind of working it actually, but I'm at a, a, a typical desk job. Um, it's a very administrative job for the last 20 years. Um, but oh my God. Up, I know, I know. I know. Listen, oh, if you knew me yeah. as a younger woman, that the last thing I thought I would be in was a desk job 20 years yeah. ago when I started. It was absolutely the last thing. But, you know, at that stage, I was in my late 30s and I needed to get things together. I was thinking I need a home and need all this. But I fell into it literally, not by accident. It was someone said, oh, Jill, they're looking for someone to work here and uh do you find oh I said yeah yeah for three months maybe yeah it <laughs> because it was nice yeah. earning regular income and all of that and I love that's the, the great thing about the trap isn't it it's that it um, <clears throat> that regular bit of cheese that's just sort of thrown at you is is the addictive thing yeah and for me the only thing was it was in it was in film do you know so it was and I was sort of you know took a back seat not that I was ever up front anyway but like what I was going to say was the day that I what I wanted to get back to was to ask you did you think that it's a societal thing that has has a uh, has this sort of impingement on someone like yourself that mm. um doesn't necessarily you know fit into the square peg mm. I made myself fit into the square peg I convinced myself but I'm really I'm round do you know and it's I'm definitely not a square pegger which is why I got onto the podcast but I just wonder about what do you think about that or your your take on it because that is an aspect of society it pushes you down that road it's uh, the whole mechanism of it, probably. Yeah. Um, I think we're all multifaceted pegs that will not fit in a square or round peg. And mm. um, unfortunately, there's a peddled belief that one has to do certain things mm. at a certain time in life. And one has to be grateful for things which are not actually logical or useful. And that we should give up on things. We're told there's a there's a constant wordage flying across society about follow your dreams, trace your dreams, blah, blah, blah. But there's a difference between a dream and actually doing and being it. And I think that's part of the whole magic hallucinate sort of the whole trick of it is to, as long, if you're daydreaming, if you're dreaming about it, you're happy. But the fact is it's not real. It's not actually happening. And you're not actually on a journey to achieve that goal because you're dreaming. There's a difference between dreaming and doing, and you've got to bring that down into the universe and make it real. And I think the way society is structured, you can't question things. You can't, if you start venturing out of the, the I don't want to use the matrix phrase, but if you start venturing out of that, you're considered slightly mad or rebellious, which I think to be honest, we all are. It's just some are more at that higher sense, so to speak, than others. Not that I'm saying that some are greater than others. It's just the different levels of awareness. That's all it is. Uh, I'm not saying I'm greater than anyone. I'm not saying you're greater than anyone. I just think people are at different levels of awareness 
on their life cycle or whatever. But I think on the whole, most of what we do in life is probably a lie. Yeah, and that that really interested me, you know, because while your biog was, was, you know, it was quite humorous, um, that really, really interested me. Could you talk to me a little bit more about why you think your life is a lie? Not not a lie, but do you know what I mean? Why why yeah, you said no, that is. in your bio? It is a lie because the <laughs> matrix. I do find the matrix very very interesting. I've been listening to someone of late um, a good bit uh, online, and they talk a lot about uh, about this this like uh, what could you yeah a matrix that could yeah. that seems to have been designed by either by design or not design design we don't know but um yeah yeah sometimes it locks down the creativity well it, it, it i wouldn't say sometimes i think it does it completely yeah. shackles it and then what creativeness you're allowed is also a predetermined like trickery sort of oh well you can do that if you so wish but that's not really what the person wants to do or be um, in regards to myself living a lie, I've, I found um, I've listened and watched a lot of people. And one person I, I heard speaking, which to most they probably find him, <clears throat> excuse me, quite an offensive man or rude or arrogant, is a guy called Grant Cardone. And he's a very successful guy and very wealthy. Now, he made a very strong point <clears throat> in one of his interviews with a guy called Ed Milet that he is adamant that the only reason he was depressed and down is because his life had no purpose. And when you apply it or look back, or like if I look at my life and the times when I was down and out, it's because I've either lost purpose or the purpose has been crushed. And if you are not being yourself in pursuing that purpose, you become unhappy. And that's when you have the down periods. It's when I feel the down things is because I'm having to do things that I disagree with, either morally, ethically, or just out of purpose or point, that's when I start to feel down and pretty crushed. And what makes it worse is there's a society agreement that, well, we should do it anyway. You have to grin and bear it. You have to do this. Like say, you have to pay your tax. You have to pay the council tax. Why? Do you? Really? For what? These are sort of things that I'm a part of that I disagree with that I shouldn't really be doing if I disagree with. So therefore I'm living a lie. You know, people are going to work paying tax every month what for are you would you yourself buy a gun and go shoot a child in another country would you do that most would probably say no but with our taxes we're paying someone to do that so we're still being a part of that thing so those are the sort of things that really got me down it's like i don't like being a part of this system so in some ways maybe the best way to get off the grid is to have no money at all and just disappear you'll probably be a lot happier i don't know but that's how I see, because I, I feel I've been living a life, doing the job, turning up nine to five, not going out in the daylight, not going out and seeing the world, being given weird rules and weird things to do that actually have no relevance or use to anyone, but they are a job, so one should be grateful, um, when really most of the jobs around me were pointless and had no actual purpose, as is, I feel, much of humanity. Mm. But that's just my point of view. No, might be a long answer that no no it's a it's it's very very interesting um james and one i have uh, thought about myself a lot 
um, you know, I think about your your moral courage and one's moral courage. I mean, and and uh, the the whole ethics of yeah. of what 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 we what we do. You know, funny you should say that. I was thinking the other day, what what was it when I first really felt myself to be uh, locked into the system even though I mean you're born into the system and you grow up in the system and all that but somehow I had managed to convince myself that I was some kind of a free spirit earlier in my life and I was in some ways but you were still within the system with a system and uh, I was thinking the first time I felt the pull of it was when I signed for my house and you had to sign the life assurance you had to sign on the dotted line with the legals the first time I'd ever really done anything like that and I suddenly yeah. felt like oh my god uh, on the one hand the house was like uh, uh, freedom because it was my home and I could do what I liked with it uh, for the first time and no one could throw me out well the bank could throw you out you know yeah. if you didn't pay. Uh, lots of caveats to there's it yeah. lots of caveats and then on the other hand I felt this noose around my neck so I do hear what you say uh, in terms of, of that. So do you think that could be uh, one of the, let's say, progenitors of of your depression, an element of it, a big element or a lesser? Because even if you look back to your childhood, and I don't know about your childhood, um, but that's a part of it as well. Do you know? Because yeah. I really love this conversation to be, uh, you know, immersed in that whole idea of a matrix. Yeah, well, uh- First of all, could I clarify, what is pregenitor, did you say? Oh, sorry, uh, pregenitor is a new word. I've, I like the sound of it. Okay. Sorry. And I thought good, you yeah. would know it. I use it. Uh, it's, like, uh, it's like something that creates something or births something. Okay. That's my understanding ah. of it. I, that's not a dictionary understanding. So I was just trying to work it out. Like at the beginning, they got, yeah. you've got the word janitor. Yeah. And a person to collect or organize and pre, which is before. Yeah. So it's like before organizing or maintaining. But anyway, um, okay. Yeah. Um, Right. So you want to know what was what any occurrence or significant events in my younger years? Yeah. And do you think that your idea of living within the matrix is actually uh, a cause, let's say, instead of janitor, yeah. a cause as well of mm. um, of uh, of the depression because of your underlying feeling that you're living a lie? Yeah, there's you've got the aspect of lie. But there's also, uh, I had the answer, it just comes in and out, it just drifts off again. Um, it was, well, I suppose it is living a lie. Because as a child, I wanted to perform and just make people laugh. Um, I had a skill for it, and I was brilliant at drawing. So when I was five or six, I was reading lots of joke books. I'd know lots of jokes, and I'd do funny things, and um, wanted to do shows, or I would be happy to do a show and perform and things like that. What significant event occurred at that point in time onwards? I've no idea. I don't know what um, muted that, but I suppose the choice of having to go to school and do things, learn things. High school was a big formative thing um, in regards to learning subjects I had no interest or desire to, and what I did want to learn or do was not available or Oh, you can't do that because you've got to do because physics is at the same time of the day. So you can't you can't study that one. So you have these weird combinations of um, form time. So you can't, if you had a particular vocation, you wouldn't be able to get all the 
qualifications anyway, because the way the school um, rotor was that you wouldn't be able to do that class because it was correlating with another class. So you'd have these weird dichotomies going on. And then it was, I noticed, well, here's a thing that I noticed as a kid, like Santa Claus. Now, I, I don't know how many of your listeners um, are still believers in Santa Claus, but maybe if you, if you do, or you are a, a fan of such a man, maybe take a cup of tea right now. But as a child, I saw no logical sense in it. We're taught at school the maths, time, and all this thing. And I'm thinking, this guy does how many millions of houses in one? Like, this just makes no sense. But the fact that the world is pushing this lie upon you, this illusion, though it's pretty and lovely and fairy tale, it is a wild, wild lie. And yet we're trying to convince millions of children that it's true and it's real. That's like a precursor for the rest of a life, I think, is what those sort of myths are put upon you that you have to believe this. Um, also, at school, we had to go to church and sing songs and stuff and go to a, a big cold church and songs that made no sense. The lyrical content made no sense to me as a child. So I've probably at a very early age was questioning a lot. And I don't even know where my vocabulary came from because it's not like I was reading dictionaries or picking things up like that. Um, I just seem to have arrived with this sort of awareness of it's not quite right. But as a child, I could see adults lying a lot. Teachers lie a lot. Parents lie a lot. There was a lot of deception in it all. My trusting and like for the world was getting more and more questioning and unstable. So I presume I peaked at 12 or 13 when I realised most of my school friends or school peers I didn't really like or get on with or agree with. Got subjects of school bullying and all the other tribe mentalities going on. None of it added up. So, yeah, that, that is a, a busy period, I suppose, for one's um, formative decline. Okay, so you could go back there. No, I just wanted to dig in a little bit to where it could have started because um, it, it really, I find it very interesting, everything that you're saying about it. Um, when did you first um, feel uh, that you were depressed or you felt it coming on or you just felt, well, was it a sense was... of not being happy, not having joy, not having any desire to do something you know different things that can yeah. happen in depression that was high school that was either being let down by friends or yet again it was instances of lying where you're meant to be going to do something and then they go and do something else and you're sort of left oh hang on this was all plotted those, those sort of events um sort of not only do I then have a distrust of adults and all the lies that they spin it's then like oh okay the people I go to school with or those around me are actually spinning lies and having these um things that they do so at that point probably 12 or 13 i didn't really want to carry on however i did find through physical means that as bullying started and going on i did discover the joy of arnold schwarzenegger in films is like yeah that's the way to deal with it so i took up bodybuilding um so in high school i started downing the protein shakes, doing the weights and bulking up. And then it all calmed down. I, I stopped receiving aggression. Um, so thank you to Arnold Schwarzenegger for that. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's interesting. Um, and wh what did you, um, how did you, uh, 
what kind of lies were you seeing? Do you think that everything was a sense, was a lie, or were there some truths within that? Did you see any aspects of truth in anything that you saw? Ooh, any aspects of truth. That you would mm. have seen as truth. I mean, I know truth is kind of subjective as well. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Ooh, truth. You can, my sna- I'm going to go by snap answers because I could dig and dig and dig and come out with all sorts of stuff. But my the first flash answer I get is the first thing I would perceive as being truthful is someone's natural beauty or their beingness. If you just, uh, when you meet someone, you just know it. There's just this thing you perceive about their quality. That is a truthfulness to me. Uh, you just know someone is, um, <clears throat> would be, maybe it's a wild sort of thought, but you just know that that person is a special person just by meeting them. That's a sort of a truth, but that's an unsaid truth. That's not a truth you can evaluate against wrong, right, blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't know. I don't know how else to answer your question on that subject in regards no, to truth. You know something that's that's perfect because the reason I was going there was I thought listeners could almost begin. I wanted to know how how you might have experienced truth because mm. uh, listeners could begin to think that maybe you were very paranoid. yeah the world is against me (laughs) and that's why i wanted to ask you about what you what truths what you could see as truth and i mean well my my paranoia or truth on that would be that i didn't belong i didn't fit in i knew it uh my mom always peddled this ideal to me that you're special that you're this you're that but i don't know whether that's her auto suggestion having an impact or influence on how i see the world or whether that's an observation of truth i don't know it could be either yeah yeah um okay well tell me how what form did your depression take do you want to talk a little bit about that yeah i don't mind talking about and, it um, and how how have you overcome you can talk at length uh james yeah, if you don't fine. mind uh, if it doesn't how, depress the audience you know i don't know whether you're here to entertain or enlighten i don't know <laughs> <laughs> enlighten enlighten oh, okay <laughs> right um it, the forms for me are either loneliness uh, a separation or it normally would come after a failure now, it can be either when I fail as a parent, it could be when I fail in a task of work or something like that, um, or I just can't meet the bills. Those are successful triggers for me to go down. The handlings that I use throughout my life to deal with that are go to sleep, um, audio books or books, just literally just stop everything and just time out on everything. Like no more product production, I will just read this or do something like that until I discover something that picks me up. And the other thing is that I, I'd have to do, now I'm not condoning this as a gambling method or whatever, but maybe for me sometimes we're just to buy a scratch card, but don't don't scratch on it. Just keep it in the wallet for a couple of weeks. So you've got the hope and the idea of whatever's in there or imagine, do you know what I mean? You're sort of creating a future. And then when you scratch it, obviously you win bugger all. Uh, but it's, as with most gambling, it seems, it's, it's the hope and the expectation as opposed to the actual result that determines the happiness. So those are some things I do to do with it. Um, I used to eat a lot of sugar, biscuits, cake, get a raving headache, then have to go to bed. Um, what else? Movement, motion. 
I, I found that if you're in a sedentary sort of life, have I said that right? Sed sedentary sort of life. Um, sedentary, I think. So I get annoyed, yeah. I never annoyed either. Sedentary. Inert or still, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sitting down and yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your body becomes, I believe, under the illusion that it's dying or dead because it's out of motion. The whole, the whole organism is meant to be in use and moving and doing stuff. If you're in a life that you're a desk jockey and then you go home and watch the TV and stuff like that, your body will start to believe it's dead. And I expect you will get manifestations that probably affect you mentally of the assumption of being dead or apathetic or low toned because there's no life in the body. It's not doing anything. So get moving. Uh, I think I think it was a Grant Cardone thing. He said these three things were get busy, don't take it personally and go help someone. That's another great thing, because if you're helping someone, it takes your attention off you and you get a bit of satisfaction and self-worth back by assisting or aiding even if it's helping someone across the road or whatever it does that little thing to pick up um so that's how i've coped with it really but no pills i've seen a few shrinks but i found them to be really funny um so i i i don't know whether that's their purpose but i i find counseling to be very very funny so i i uh, that handles me i suppose but not in the way that they expect to be handling me <laughs> Please tell me how you find the like the, the shrinks funny. You have to go into oh, that. Yeah. Well, I, I, the first one I had was when I was seventeen or eighteen, and I went to the doctor and I, I said, "Oh yeah, I'm feeling a down." And he was really downtown himself, and he was like, "Oh, so do you feel like you really like just want to kill yourself?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." And he's like, "Yeah, okay. Well, I'll see what I can do." So he recommended pills, but I didn't get them. And a lady called. Uh, and to make a point, this was in the days when we had telephones on cables plugged into walls. So I was at my mum's house and she came round and she would sit at the table and we'd talk, but she'd talk like really low and, and slow and a bit like a sort of a Victoria Wood sketch was about to be sort of unravelling before you. And, and do you find, and it was the host of the whole terrace, so this is not real. This is... This is not, I need the opposite. I need energy. I need to get going. I don't need someone to wind me down to a slow, almost dead thing. I, I just couldn't. After about three or four, I said, oh, I bought this book. I read it. It was really good. And she says, you can't cure yourself just by reading a book. And I was like, well, people did it with the Bible. So I'm fine with that. So we're done. I'm out. Uh, the next one was my workplace uh, sent me because they felt I was getting a bit aggressive with customers and I was, well, it was, they, they, they were just ridiculous. Um, and I was losing my brag with them. So I was telling them the honest truth, but apparently you don't tell people the honest truth in the, in the line of work. You, you spin stuff. Um, well, apparently you meant to manage customer expectation, but I was just telling them the truth. And so they sent me off for counselling, uh, five sessions of counselling, because I was clearly showing signs of some sort of dangerous thing. And the weird thing about this lady I went to see was she would sit very, very far away. So not a very close and social thing. This was in the age prior to any social distancing paranoia, but she'd be about 12 feet away. And I'd have this little glass of water next to me and tissues. And she was trying to get me to talk about events and I was talking about what I was getting angry about like the media and the lies and the unnecessary wars and the stupidity of it and she was trying to turn it back on things but she had these little quirks like she'd say mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
every hmm? And she's doing a lot, and she had lots of weird nervous tics. And I'm thinking, hang on, who, who needs the help here? Because the person I'm I'm talking with appears to be quite mad. And there was one moment she asked me to deal with my anger that I should write it down on a piece of paper and that I should fold it up and throw it in the bin. And I was like, okay, well, could I set fire to it? And she was like, no, you don't, because that would be dangerous. I was like, but I like the danger. She's like, no, don't do that. I said, what about if I got a knife? And I just stabbed these words and stabbed them or wrote it on pillows and stabbed the pillows. And she's like, I, I wouldn't recommend you do that. Don't do that because that's quite dangerous. Like, I don't care about danger. I just want the thrill of smashing stuff up or stabbing stuff because it really does feel good. And she was trying to sort of, no, no, just write it on a piece of paper. And I was like, well, that's not good enough for me. But she just wanted me to be this, she was health and safety. That's what she was like, uh, and I hate health and safety because I think that's, well, that's a whole other thing. Health and safety, I think, is the most dangerous thing for humanity there's ever been. But, um, yeah, so I'm not a fan of, but I, I'm sure they have successes and they win well. But in regards to me, they never identified or did uh, an apt or suitable way to sort of bring me along for the ride, as it were. Okay, so actually, by the way, I, I do, I think it's fine if you have a stove or somewhere to, to burn things, it's a lot better. Yeah. Than put Fire is in. fantastic. <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose, and I have a stove to do it. <laughs> and yeah. I do need a fireplace to do it in, do you know. Oh, that's lucky, uh, yeah. But, I miss uh, the 80s when we used to have steel bins, now we've got these bloody <laughs> plastic bins that melt, so you can't use them. But the old days, steel bins, they were great. You could fire everything in them, couldn't you? I don't, yeah, I suppose you could. Actually, yeah, I never thought of that. You, we do have plastic bins now. And then you have to watch the bin men try and drag it away because it's full of ash. It'll be like 100 kilograms of ash in a bin. That's right. Now they're wheelie bins, though, James. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They don't have to. They have a thing that gone on. Mind you, yeah. fair, to, to be fair to their backs, it, it, it's, uh, you know, lifting all those big heavy bins, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. But the uh, man went to the moon in 1960-something. We haven't got a machine that can pick up a bin and empty it. There's no. We still need men to wheel the bin to the machine. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. That's an absurdity in itself. But. <laughs> but uh, so, but but you know what's interesting because I I I, I actually have. Um, I was saying to you before we started, I have had, uh, you know, and it's a good 20 years since I last had a, a, a bout of depression and I had a couple in my younger life and I more or less did something quite similar to you. I would, did not want any medical drugs whatsoever. And mm. I just, I've never, I have very rarely take anything actually uh, for anything. Um, but I, that was it. That was the key thing. Get out move around i thought that very yeah. i find that very interesting what you said that if oh, you don't move your I body i forgot to mention about yeah i forgot to mention basics like for me mm. i do need sleep i am yeah. horrible yeah. if i don't have sleep um and strong vitamins yeah. and a shower if i don't like today my fundamentals and rudiments have been out i didn't have my shower and i didn't have a good night's sleep so already today i've had a large argument with my daughter's mum and I've had a few stresses with my daughter. Probably wouldn't have happened if I'd had my sleep, but there we go. <laughs> okay. But but you know, at least you know that. Do you know that you mm. know you need your sleep? But sleep and uh, good nutrition, 
vitamins uh, or supplementary, whatever, yeah. uh, and uh, movement and getting fresh movement, air definitely. and daylight. Yeah. Yes. Oh, no. And helping doing something for someone else. That was another classic thing. I remember I learned at that time, you know, even, even if it was uh, like you say, you just opened a door for someone, do you know, you made a little connection, do you know? Yeah. Well, not in this day and age. They just walk past. No one says thanks anymore. <laughs> I say no one. It's a generality. But the predominance of what my experience is at the moment, people just look at their feet as they walk past. And I just say, you're welcome. That's yeah, totally fine. Yeah, yeah. I'm paid yeah, to stand yeah. here all day. Yeah, yeah. I, um, yeah, I know it is a different world to the 80s and 90s, even now, do you know? Yeah. Um, Come here. There was a, a, a couple of well, and and you you're fine these days. I'll ask, I'll just ask you another thing: Has mm-hmm. the on the on depression has it has it gotten has depression got better? Ha, have you gotten better as you've gotten to middle age about handling it? And and it sounds like you have, and seeing the onset of it, and. Uh, how to sort of knock it off at the pass sort of thing. Has that gotten easier to do? Uh, I'm more aware of it. Is it easier? The, pro- the problem you have, or I find, as you get older, there's more and more obligations. So you have to either mask it more or adapt how you would handle it. Let's say if I was, thankfully, because I'm self-employed, if I need to get some sleep, I can have a lie-in, so to speak. Whereas if I was on the nine to five, that wouldn't happen. Um, so yeah, if you miss a rudiment, you can't catch up on a rudiment when you've got to go to work as it were. So yeah, in that regard, yeah, I'm, I'm fortunate that I work from home, but is it easier? Um, unfortunately, like with age, it changes, doesn't it? Nothing stays the same. So the form in which it can take place is going to be different. So your handling is probably going to have to be different. Um, how long it lasts can be different. Um, with me, it's weirdly enough, it's normally like January is quite a, a slump. And it's for, for the big benchmarks for me, it seems to be Christmas seems to be a significant thing here. It's either the run up to Christmas with the stresses and the worries, and then the emptiness afterwards, uh, the January blues, so to speak. Although I don't, we shouldn't accept January blues. January is a great month. You should just get out and go do whatever. But there's this sort of weird hangover that occurs in January where self-reflection, I suppose, for me, New Year's Eve, everyone has resolutions like, well, what did I achieve last year? Uh, Nothing. I've got my birthday now. What have I achieved in last year? Uh, Nothing. So it's a bit of a slump month, really. So things have changed as I got older. Um, But yeah, obviously, I'm still alive. So I've handled it somehow. And I haven't killed anyone else as a result, none I'm aware of. Um, one of my other handlings for it is uh, aggressive driving uh, on my own out in the middle of nowhere. Always take a risk. <laughs> so that, make, that makes me feel alive. In fact, here's something for you. I was told this by a very wise guy, and, and since then it has stuck with me. Because um, he was discussing something about the subject of speeding and going fast. And it's actually, what he, the way he laid it out was so simple and so like, that's why I love speeding be it in a plane, be it in a car, or just moving fast. I just love speed. It wakes me up. And the fact is, the faster you go, the more you have to plan ahead, the more you're in the future. And that's what I found I'm doing. When you're driving fast, you're having to go further ahead into the future. So it's more you're 
honing yourself that way. And that is why some people feel great when speeding is because you're, instead of being stuck here in front of your face going slow where you don't have to be that concerned, the faster you're going, the more ahead you have to be. So it's like creating a future by going faster. So I get a bit of therapy by going faster. I can't afford to do race days, but if I can, I'll do more race days because that'd be good for me or anyone else I expect who likes going fast. Yeah. Have you done uh, Have you done actual car racing, driving on a track and stuff? Once, once. And the guy, the guy kept taking over. I didn't like it. <laughs> so, so, get off. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah yeah it's something I would love to do although I, th I think in my middle age now I wouldn't I'd love to have uh, done uh, a bit of uh, you know training and uh, advanced driving and speeding yeah. Skip pans safely, slow. safely yeah. somewhere do you know in, on a track or something um well I do you do you think um that uh, how, after you nearly died before Christmas mm. there, yeah. um, did that change your perspective? Did that change, did that change anything? Mm. It fueled me in some way. I don't know whether it's a negative or positive way in which it fueled me. Um, I felt a slight urge for revenge. First to get out of there, then to get back to some sort of normality. And then, I don't, I don't know. So obviously, something changed within me. I was having a lot of nightmares. The morphine was really playing with my mind quite a bit, and some of the nightmares were quite horrific and very realistic. Um, in fact, there were some of them were more real than than one would consider this actual conversation to be. So that had an effect and a bit of a hangover. So. In a, I don't know really yet. I don't know what the change is, but something's different. Um, yeah, something is definitely different. Because um, wasn't it uh, strange that a week before you were thinking, my God, when yeah. you know, basically want to get, and then, you know, something you, you did have what you could effectively call a near death experience, not in the, well, maybe you were lucid or whatever, but you know mm. what I mean, where you nearly died. Um, would you to talk a little bit about that morphine experience? I have never talked to anyone that's had that, but I know that people have had it. Yeah, it's, it's strange really? that, um, yeah, that you get this social spin that morphine's a great thing. And like, you, like people who like to use drugs or partake in them, they're sort of saying, oh, morphine's amazing. Oh, I love being on morphine. Oh, I was that. Not after five days of it, um, there's an accumulation. And if you're not eating or hydrating and it's your only residue going into the body, um, the nightmares I was having, I was, it was literally like many a Hollywood film where you see these dead sequences or very open planes of dark open space with just one existing being being me in it. And then everything else is corpsed or mummified or doll-like bodies. Um, twice I saw my daughter as like a, a mannequin, inanimate doll that was lifeless. And there was, there was just weird stuff. I, 
it was also influenced greatly by taste or smell or the sounds in the environment I was in in the hospital, which would add to it or make it very weird. Obviously, there was a guy next to me for one night or two nights that was on. He had pneumonia. They just amputated his limbs. He had dementia. He was an absolute mess. But he had this weird machine that was helping him breathing, but it was noisy as hell. But that was impacting what I was dreaming and what I was having and going on. Um, yeah, that, that, and it, I was saying to someone, it felt like I was in the basement of the hospital half the time. Like I was down somewhere dark where it was as if the hospital had been built on a burial ground or where there was a lot of bodies. And that, that's what I was getting from it. I wasn't getting anything positive from being there. It was a very negative, toxic thing. And I knew I had to get out of there. And I bit my tongue many times during those nightmares. And it came to a point where I was like, I'm not having in any more. And I'm just going to sit up all night and I'm just going to stay awake. I'm not going to go to sleep now until I'm out of here. Jesus, James, that, that's, uh, that's while you were sleeping, dreaming, not while you were awake. You weren't hallucinating while you were awake. No, I, I was, yeah. I was awake when I was awake. I'd be just listening to people dying, but, or, or listening to the machines going beep because there was no one there to look after the machine or change yeah. the drips. When I'm asleep, these, this was just this all was that was going dreams. on. It was literally like the, the dream was more real than the hospitalization. So you'd slip into this other world yeah, and yeah. then someone would call my name or they'd do your observations and wake you up. And then it'd be like, I would awaken with a huge startle. I was like, where am I? Oh. A bit like, uh, is it Edge of Tomorrow, the Tom Cruise film, where he keeps living that same moment, but he always wakes up with a startle and just mm -hmm. after death. We had a little bit of a glitch there and we're back again. Um, so, yeah, we'll continue on with uh, what you were seeing in the hospital. That sounded horrendous. And I have heard of other people having like horrendous experiences uh, of, of, you know, taking morphine, having to take morphine for pain. No wonder you wanted to get right out of the hospital. <laughs> <Do you> know? <laughs> yeah, it was. Um... I should write, I should have wrote down more stuff as it was fresh, but I suppose looking back on it, the sense of it's always there, so I can always return to it if need be. Uh, it was just a weird thing that you'd be asleep doing that, or you'd be awake listening to someone in the last stage of death. Um, so it was always a bit of a weird sort of unpleasant psychotic, and quite a lonely thing, because obviously in this current time, businesses aren't allowed. So you're on your own, you don't see your family, yeah. and anything could happen. And the nurses are far too busy. Yeah, they are very busy, actually. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I was going to ask you uh, another thing about how did becoming a father affect you? I mean, especially, did that give you, well, obviously you said earlier on um, that you you just wouldn't consider like leaving the mortal coil, let's say, uh, yeah. while you have, uh, you know, while you have obligations. Um, how was it becoming a father? Did that change your perspective? Because what age is she now? She oh, she's is 11. She's 11, yeah. Well, I was a late starting father. At we got a little glimpse of her during the podcast. And, and oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, she's, um, when she's in her universe, she's happy as a, a sandboy. But out when she's having to force into our universe, um, it's not comfortable for her. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know whether it's autism or, or whatever. Well, it's pretty evident it is. And it's quite a 
high degree at times. So yeah, dealing with that is one thing, but becoming a father at first, um, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm probably a minority. I don't see it as being the beautiful, fantastic thing that it is, but that maybe from my own experience and events that occurred was, I suppose some people who are in a happy relationship and they plan their children and they have this thing, they, whatever's true for them, great. But when people live their life through their children, oh, I'm looking for, I want to walk her down the aisle and like, it's like, okay, that's just a day. It doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't float my boat. So it's a bit weird being a father. I, I like, you know, I like, I like my daughter, a good friend, but I suppose I'm uncomfortable with it because you would only, I, I find and see in people, they're only happy when they're good at something. If you're not succeeding at something, it's sort of defeating and it can bring you down. So being a father in some ways accelerated or emphasized my down points and depression because I could see my weaknesses all the more, either through how she is or how I react to her. Um, it sort of magnified it quite a bit. So it made it actually harder, I suppose, especially dealing with depression. And then you've got to put on the brave faces be all that so you're not taken away and etc. Nor do I want it to have any side effects upon her. But I, I know she's seen me at times and she's probably got thoughts and considerations and what she's seen and thinking, whatever. Well, she's not rationally thinking, but it will be there as a seed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, and uh, I, I guess it's also you you'd have to you'd be dealing with your child with autism, you you have to be a different kind of parent as well. It's a different kind of parenting, isn't it? Yeah, I know you've just the one child, but it's it's it is different. Uh, I know from yeah. other people who have that, so it, it can be more of a challenge because they see the world so differently to maybe some other kids, uh, especially. So, you know, that, that that's hard. Um, I always go around that sort of harbinger of guilt, of, of guilt, thinking, is it something I did? Is it something we did as parents that brought that about? Um, am I responsible for that? Is this a payback? Is this a punishment? I don't know. Mm. That's sometimes how I think about it. Okay. And there's really no answers except the ones that you find within yourself, isn't there? Really, do you know? Yeah, yeah <laughs> you only you see what you want to see. Yeah, when you want, yeah, when you find them. Um, there's a couple of other things. Thanks for sharing all of that, actually. Um, it's very, very honest, do you know? And not many people will be that deeply honest about, about yeah, that. Yeah, it's a bit of a taboo, isn't there, in regards to children? If you're you're honest mm. about your relationship with your child, it can be offensive to some or repugnant to some, but it's tough to deal with it. It's, it's words, it's my opinion, it's my point of view. I'm not brutal in any way to my daughter, I assist her as best I can. Feed her, try and close but that's mostly her mum, and do what I can. Okay. But um, it's, it's I would never profess to it being a perfect and lovely thing. Um, like the, the mad concept of first thing, not really. Terrific call party, it's not a beautiful thing at all. That's I personally another urban myth. Uh, the end result and the come down and you've got a baby in your arms, yes, that's great. But the birth itself, no, 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 no. That, that's not a beautiful thing. 
Yeah, yeah. Opinion. Yeah. James, you might come a little bit closer because you're you're it's it's not crackling this time, but um you're sounding a little bit far away, so I'm not sure. That's because I am. <laughs> <laughs> Go a little bit closer to your screen. Um, <laughs> Listen, um, we'll, we'll, we're coming toward the end of, of our conversation now. So uh, I'll, uh, there's a couple of things, because you've got a couple of uh, lighthearted things in there. You, <laughs> you might tell us about your experience of dating sites. <laughs> yeah. What um, you don't like, what you see. <laughs> Well, I laughed at that. It's, it's a weird thing. I, I, when I joined, the last one I joined were the current, the Facebook one at the moment. They have one. Um, it's a weird one because it makes you, it pressures you to make an instant decision on someone. So the profile comes up and you can't look at the next profile and decide if yes or no. So I've done many yes, et cetera, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the, the, the trend I noticed is when a lady, shall we say, uses the phrase looking for genuine, truthful, sincere. The predominance of ladies who say that in their photographs are fake hands, fake eyebrows, and a trout coat. I don't see that as being genuine or real. Uh, none of those things are real. So it's like, what are they really looking for? Are they looking for ungenuine? But that puts me off. And I've never heard amongst men the discussion of how her pouting her pouting is amazing. I really love the way she pouts. Never heard that between any male. It's not an attractive quality as far as I'm aware with any male at all. Baffled as to why women post pictures on dating sites of themselves pouting. And also they say occasional drinker. And they say like I'm an occasional drinker. But they, all the photographs have got a big glass of gin or a large glass of wine in their hand. I, I think you're lying. I don't think you're an occasional drinker. I think you're an ardent alcoholic. They're also, um, most of them, for whatever reason, are nurses and school teachers. Okay. And that's in the UK. There's more professions out there. Okay, yeah. Okay, well, <laughs> maybe the rest of them are all are all married or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. I've, never <laughs> been on, I, I've never been on a dating site, actually. Uh, I probably never will go on one yeah, because, uh, yeah. I'm not I, a fan I, of it. I, I prefer real stuff, but because I'm self-employed and I don't really meet anyone in my self-employed universe because it's all mail order over the internet, yeah. dating is really the only way I'm going to meet you, especially whereas all social places are currently shut. So how else would one do it other than stalking people in the park? Yeah, no, <laughs> no, I know. And that's the way. And uh, even like I, I have a couple of friends that are a good bit younger that, you know, I met through work. And, uh, you know, we have been out in the pub when we were we weren't locked up in our houses as we all are at mm -hmm. present. Um, but um, I went out with uh, a few of them one night. I think somebody was leaving. And uh, we we went, and I, I never go to nightclubs anymore, but on this night, because it was someone I'd worked with for years, was leaving, said, oh, I have to go out. So there I was, you know, whatever, dancing away at some very noisy nightclub, just wishing I was home in my bed uh, at two in the morning. And I noticed that no men, the men and the women, the guys and the girls weren't dancing with one another. I thought, 
really? Why? Uh, <laughs> nobody's coming up asking someone to dance or anything yeah. like that or chatting them up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, even in my day, uh, it was very, it was loud, but you got chatted up or, you know, you fancied somebody, you know, and you were there in the same bar, the same club because you knew they'd be there. But uh, my th- 30, she was, she's only 31 now, but uh, this is a couple of years ago. And I was saying to her, what, what's going on? She said, oh, no, everybody's on Tinder. Nobody, nobody meets inside because uh, oh, okay. all the guys were dancing with one another. And I was saying, oh, uh, you know, are, do they just happen to be gay or what is it? And she said, no, <laughs> no, that's what they do. She said, no. She said, uh, they, they, it's all now on Tinder or whatever. Okay. You know, you don't, they, they don't go to a pub anymore and get chatted up or chat someone up. So, uh, so for that generation, it has really shifted. So it has really, you're right. If you're at home all the time, you're self-employed uh, and you don't say go to the pub and maybe you, and no one can go to anything anymore. Oh. Anyway, where do you meet people? Do you know, I've had friends trying to Supermarket. me get me on dating site. I said, I just, every Every iota of me uh, just can't bring myself to do that. So it's too yeah. unnatural. <laughs> I don't know about the vibe, do you know? Yeah, you, you, uh, I just can't. No, I, I'm just stuck on it at the moment. I, I will give up on it because I would much rather talk to people and really meet people and see them for who they are. Um, I've even reported accounts whereby it's clearly that they're fake and that they're not even in the UK. But Facebook won't remove and go, oh, they haven't done anything wrong yeah, yet. <laughs> but okay. it's clear that they're sort of setting yeah, you up yeah. for something. Um, but yeah, okay. so yeah. real people is the way forward. But I don't know how, other than supermarkets, I don't know how I'm going to meet them. Hospitals, supermarkets, yeah. where else can you meet someone? You don't want to meet someone down at a hospital, really, because that's, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gyms, yeah. now they're shut. Uh. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Well, that crackles back, but you know what? We'll just ah, keep, we'll just ah. keep going. As if you talk a bit louder, we'll just keep going yeah. anyway. Okay, I can't hear any crackling this end. Yeah, no. Well, I don't know if it's from my end on the Zoom, but you know, uh, I have no idea. Um, but look, um, so what's been your greatest challenge in life so far? Staying alive. <laughs> Stay- <laughs> Well, no, I, I, I shouldn't laugh because that is, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, greatest challenge, uh, mm. uh, being solvent, earning more mm. than I need to spend. That would be a challenge. Um, and biting my tongue, even though I don't censor myself as much, I still, for the sake of peace and calm amongst humanity, bite my tongue a lot. Okay. Well, they are challenges, yeah. Mm. Um, is there an achievement you're particularly proud of? No. <laughs> <laughs> so there, is, there is no achievement. No. Oh, well, you've lived this long too, and you have a house, and you're self-employed. But maybe you don't see those as particularly achievements, you know. No. I was in a job interview once, and the one guy they asked about his greatest life achievement, and he, was, he talked about... The arrival of his child and whatnot and i was thinking all he did was have sex for a few minutes yeah. um is that is that his achievement because what else 
out of what he was describing, that was the the female who did all the work there, did all the production, etc. Is that his achievement? So yeah, obviously I didn't get that job because I didn't go down too well because I was too honest. Um, but yeah, I thought that was a bit of a weird achievement to have sex. Well, I suppose the prime basic of the species is probably that is the achievement. But once you've done that, do you just go and die? Or do you carry on looking for sex? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, James. I don't know. Okay. But you are a father. You are a father to uh, your daughter. Yeah. <laughs> and you do your best, I presume. Try. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's anywhere near good enough, but I am doing my best. Yeah. Do, do you have any nuggets of wisdom then in that case? <laughs> to pass nuggets, on to your daughter or the younger generation? What would you I, tell I, them? I would say to my daughter, um, play to your strength. Don't, um, yeah. Now, in my daughter's case, she's a brilliant artist. She's great at drawing. Her ability to do cartoons is fantastic. And it's just coming on leaps and bounds. I don't want her to be then educated in how to do art and then for it to all go. Because that's what happened with me. As an 11-year-old, I could draw everything. I could see, draw it perfectly. And then I was educated. And then other events. And now I can't draw worth a shit. Uh, now I just draw matchstick man. So, with my daughter's case, I just want her to just practice that and do that if she can what i would advise anyone in the world is just learn your fundamentals of of, of attracting money and managing your money either and try to keep it or multiplying it most of the stuff we're taught in school is irrelevant and pointless and wrong uh, i there's a classic statement i heard recently don't talk to strangers if there's ever a more bullshit statement it is that because how will you ever meet anyone? How will you ever sell to anyone? How can you do any work for anyone without talking to a stranger? To teach children, don't talk to strangers. It's probably the most absurd and stupid thing you could ever say. By all means say, don't go off with a stranger in their car. That makes sense. But don't go telling them not to talk or communicate with people. Because you're basically saying, don't talk to the human race. You need a slap if you're going to preach that. Um, that might be a useful nugget. What else would I say? Um, clear up your words. If people use words that you don't understand, don't be glib and go. Um, find out what the word means because each word is a concept and it has a significance to it. And the more you know about that word, its use, its history, the more people and the more subject matter you can understand and get and use. So look up your words. Um, find out about words because they are the primary way in which you can communicate ideas you won't learn anything if you don't know what the words are uh, which brings me back to the basic thing of there's no such thing as an original idea because if there was an original idea you'd never hear it or understand it because you wouldn't understand the person who's trying to give you the original idea because it'd have to be built on words so know your words really that would be a good thing that would be useful uh can you hear any more uh, if you have any more, they are very deep things and very uh, philosophic in ways as well. Yeah, whatever the government advises, you do the opposite. <laughs> I, I would strongly suggest that anything the government says, because there's time and time again, everything that's come out through government means has been proven wrong to so go the opposite way. 
Um, so I would suggest that. Uh, I was told, well, we were told by our chancellor, retrain. If you're in the arts, retrain. Well, I bought a guitar. Screw him. No, that uh, that was uh, unbelievable. I have to uh, concur with you there. That I could, just couldn't believe that <laughs> yeah. that was said. Uh, coming from someone that's worked in the arts for. 25 or so years myself yeah. you know it's just that was just gobsmackingly strange thing to say to people um, well, it's, it's but, a complete attack on the right side of the brain if you're into brain theory yeah, yeah. the right side is a creative mm -hmm. thing school is utterly mm -hmm. left but they mutter and whisper things about creative stuff but it isn't really mm -hmm. uh, whereas like my daughter is probably 90 percent right-sided yeah. cannot tolerate maths or the idea of it or so it just has no interest in it but is very good at the creative stuff so yeah i, I would um venture do, do a bit of art doodle draw do something create something because otherwise you will go mad because you're meant to be creating that's what we are i believe we are a creative species we're creative beings mm -hmm. and if you're just consuming and take watching tv being a spectator you're not actually creating you're not contributing you're just sucking life like a leech mm -hmm. i'd rather be dead than be a leech nothing yeah. against leeches they have their use <laughs> they have their uses <laughs> but mm -hmm. uh well if you need your blood cleaned they might yeah. be of use um, <laughs> they are, <yeah. laughs> um which might have been better for you than morphine even at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah bag of leeches. <laughs> but no, I, I mean, James, they are very interesting things to say. And, uh, I, you know, if you pass that on to your daughter, then I would say, you know, that she's a creative being and she should always be a creative being. Um, that's a wonderful thing to hear from your parent. I never heard that. And if you're saying that to your daughter or wanting to pass that on to her, that's a wonderful thing to pass on to, to, to your child. Um, she struggles to get her to understand that. Now. Ah, well, she's, uh, she's 11, do you know? So. <laughs> she'll need to know it. <laughs> uh, otherwise, she's going to be stuffed by every left, every quarter. She will, will take a piece of her and suppress it. So I've okay. got to keep on trying to get that through to her. Obviously, I don't want to enforce a reality upon her. I'd like her to yeah. make her own choice, but I would like her to have... The only reason we all make errors is because we've got wrong data. Like, the human mind doesn't make errors. It only computes on what data it has, like a computer program. So if she's stuffed full of rubbish, she's going to come out with rubbish, right? Mm. But if she's given true and useful data, I would expect good creative outputs to come from it. So I just want to try and one defend her from nonsense and two get her to a point where she can be aware and make conscious choices. Um, yeah, so there's many parents probably. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, and and you know I have maybe maybe our world and our governments will be very different in the future. 
do you know? So uh, could be gone. Beth, the, well, yeah, <laughs> it could be <laughs> gone and a better, a new system. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no system would yeah. probably be the best system. Yeah, that allows for creativity and whatever. Well, we don't know what we're gonna get. Uh, we're, we've never ever in history been in this in the space and the place that we're in at the moment. And uh, so, uh, you know, it's a case of watch this space in the coming years, isn't it? You know, yeah, or create the space. Create the space. Actually, yes, that's a far better I wouldn't statement. get into any watching. <laughs> yeah. No, no, yeah. no. Yeah. You're, you're watching it. You're already too yeah. late. And yeah. I like that because that, that ties into what you just said about watch your words. Do you know? Yeah. Watch your words. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, the weird thing is I can observe and say these things, but in regards to the application of my own life, there's a bit of a void. Uh, there's knowing and there's doing. They are two things. You know, it's like people wind me up when they go, oh, knowledge is power. No, it isn't. Otherwise, libraries would be the richest density on the planet, but they're not. Mm. It's mm -hmm. what you do with the knowledge that matters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and this, the real power is in the creativity. Yeah. How you deal with your creativity as well, how you do it. Mm. Oh, James, it's just been fantastic talking to you. Highly unusual conversation in places that <laughs> yeah. I have the audience on sleep. <laughs> ah, no, I love that. I love that myself. I, I, do, I don't mind where a conversation takes me, really. I like to follow it. And <clears throat> you, you put a good challenge up, me to, uh, up to me to follow your uh, conversation today. It's, it's been great. <laughs> I like it. It uh, keeps me on my toes. Um, yeah. So um, do you, you have a podcast yourself? I'll let yep. you tell our audience about it, and I will put it in the show notes as well. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, yes, it's Father Finney, the best a man can get. Um, it's a if, if it offends people because they think it's gender specific, then the third definition of man means all humans and species. Um, so it's in reference to that. But the mainly main reason I chose that title is to it's a journey where I meet people who will hopefully inspire or turn me around or the listener to inspire them in some way, some little way. You, you, your life isn't going to improve in one episode. It's not probably going to change drastically in 10 or 20 episodes, but by an accumulation of positive and useful data, maybe over the course of time, it can help bring about a positive change and stop the decline if you're, I don't know, in a free fall or whatever. But I'd like to catch people before they hit the bottom. Because there's a lot of focus on the bottom, the cure. Whereas I think personally, it's a lot better. Prevention is a lot better. And these weird memes and things where people go, oh, you should talk. It's good to talk. Think about mental health week. Your friends shouldn't be at that point. They should never have got to that point. If you'd have been more involved with them and you're out there doing life, people wouldn't be hitting that low point with a need to talk because they would have already done it. So I'd like to be in it a bit earlier before the curve before we hit the bottom. So that's why I'm doing that. It's, it was mainly for middle-aged men at first, but it's sort of grown quite wide and got quite a wide audience range. Because um, anyone, I suppose, can have a collapsing point at any time. Or you can just tune in for good fun, I suppose. I use the word tune in, because obviously I'm from the 80s and 90s and not modern day of Wi-Fi and fiber optics. But yes, that, that's what it is. Available on all mediums, all, all the big cartels uh, from Google, Apple, 
uh, Spotify. Uh, yeah. And did you say the name of it? Yeah, Father Finney's the best a man can get. Oh, sorry, you did. Yeah. You did. Oh, well. Trademark uh, pending. <laughs> oh, no, there could be another, never be another Father Finney nowadays. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no way could they, could they do that. Um, well, thank you very much. Uh, I, as I said, I'm really, really um, delighted that you came on and thanks for taking the time. Um, and um, so uh, if you uh, enjoyed this uh, conversation today, please share it with your friends and on your social media and anywhere you can. Um, thank you for uh, tuning in. Uh, this is Jill McGregor from Lady Time. Uh, thanks a million again to our listeners and tune in for the next episode coming soon. Bye for now.